Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning we're continuing our series on Christ our Healer. Christ our Healer, in fact, we're looking at one of the first healings that Christ did uh, in the Gospels. So we're going to be looking at an account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in fact. Matthew, Mark, and Luke is we're going to be looking at Christ healing Peter's mother-in-law, uh, which is just an incredible account. So we're going to draw some things from that. But first, I want to read 1 Peter chapter 2, because 1 Peter chapter 2 does talk some about healing here at the end of it, but also, of course, it's written by Peter, and we're going to be looking at Christ healing Peter's mother-in-law, and so I just think that there's some neat connections that are there with that. But let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and it says this, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, you who believe, he is precious, but those uh, who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but now are but are now a people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of your conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us for an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." 
For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, of course, we see here that the main thrust of this chapter isn't talking about healing, but it's talking about suffering righteously, that we should suffer righteously, that we should go and we should obey God rather than men, and we should go and be good testimonies to all those who are in our life, whether they're kings or or all of those around us who are observing our life. And if we do suffer, we shouldn't suffer for doing something wrong, but we should suffer for doing something right for God. And look at how Jesus responded when he suffered. But then it comes here to this verse 24, and this is important in this context, because he goes and he says, who bore himself, excuse me, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. See, the main thrust of this chapter is suffering for righteousness, and we see here then to live righteously even in the midst of suffering, even if you could face persecution. But then it comes here and it it throws this in here. There was no necessary reason to throw this in here if this is the only truth that wanted to be conveyed. He goes and says, by whose stripes you were healed. Well, it's not talking about the healing, whether, you know, some people are going to say that this is speaking of a metaphorical healing. It's not talking about a metaphorical healing here, just in general, nor was it talking about it in Isaiah 53, which is being quoted. Uh, But it's also not even that that's not the thrust of this. This is adding in a new idea onto this that when you suffer for righteousness sake, when you have these things that come up in in your life, remember the prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's the basis for our prayer. Hence why you have to be suffering for the sake of righteousness, that that's when we can turn to God and receive healing in our life. And of course it is talking about physical healing here, because it's not talking about going and hearing, oh no, a magistrate said mean words to me. No, it's talking about literally going and taking stripes for the name of Christ. And it's going and saying we can turn to Christ for our healing. We can turn to Christ for our healing, even in the midst of punishment, if you're being punished for righteousness' sake. That's the actual context here of 1 Peter chapter 2. But why would Peter be able to write those words? Of course, we know the Holy Spirit is is the one who's working through Peter here. So we, we do understand it's a mission of the Holy Spirit. He could go and write those down. But, but why would Peter have the confidence? Because we know that he wrote what he wrote, and he had confidence in what he wrote. Why would he have the confidence? Well, it's because he got to see Christ's healing up close and personal for him as his mother-in-law was healed. And, and so I want to read a few different passages of Scripture along with this. Uh, The first one is in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and it says this, Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. The second one we see here is in Luke 4, 38 and 39, and it says this, Now he arose from the synagogue and uh, entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. And the third one is Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Now this is three, three different passages, same account. And it says this, 
Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lies sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her and she served them. Now, in Matthew and Mark's account, we see here that Jesus goes and he touches Simon's or Peter's mother-in-law. And this is where the, the healing comes in. That This was the, the, the touch point where he touched her and she ends up getting healed. Now, you also uh, re- remember in James chapter 5 that when you are uh, desperately ill, very ill, you're supposed to go and to call for the elders of the church. They're going to go and to anoint you with oil and lay hands on you, and then you can be healed. Now, this is important to understand something. Because God in the Bible does not teach, and I don't want to get too far into this because I don't really have enough time to, to, to really flesh this all out, but it's not neo-Gnostic. Now, neo-Gnostic or Gnostic in any way, that, that word Gnostic, it comes from the Greek word gnosis, uh, which means knowledge, and it was a uh, really a group of, of heretics who they believed um, in hidden knowledge, and they combined Zoroastrianism uh, with Scripture, and they believed in dualism. Um, I've got several articles, uh, I think three or four articles on Shouts of Grace. You can go and look it up if you look up Neo-Gnosticism or just Gnosticism. Um, uh, there, I, I, it should come right up. But uh, it's it's one of these things where the it really goes and it ends up denying the material world, which of course then would deny physical locations. But there are physical laws and all physical laws are reflective uh, in the physical world that we live in. They're reflective of the more real world, which is the spiritual world, and there are spiritual laws. And with this here, we see that this is why Though it is good to pray for people at home and people can be uh, healed and, and whatnot, we, we do see that at, at home, perhaps, and things like that, and asking God to heal them and other people can be praying for them. We do see God working, but we see something a little bit different here that really we should go to the people. We should go to the people that you're praying for, and you should be able to go and to lay hands on them or pray with them. Now, of course, you can pray at home with them. I'm not against that. That's not what I'm saying. But there is this kind of a concept of uh, in today's Christianity, in today's world, that we're going to run away from people and just stay at home, deny the community that God wants us to have to live in the physical world and in that physical reality, which is reflective of that spiritual reality, which still has to do with the laws of nature, both physical nature and spiritual nature, and seeing here that geographic location actually does matter. And it's not because God can't hear your prayers somewhere else, but he works often when we take steps. And this is why uh, we, we go and we see it's it's important for you to call upon the sick. I mean, we understand this concept at least to a degree, because when somebody goes and gets sick and they're uh, on their deathbed or they have a really big illness or something like that that's that's coming up, we, we know that the pastor is to go and to call on them, or uh, you know, the Christian authority is to go and to call on them and to go and to see them. We understand that concept, and then go and to pray with them and for them, but. Could a pastor just say, well, I'm not going to go see them. 
or the Christian authority, you know, or the Christian leader, can they just go and say, I'm not going to go see them because I can just pray for them at home. Well, they could say that, and they'd be wrong if they said that. But remember, we've looked at this here, that in order to get healing, you need to be connected to a church. James chapter 5 has that. You, you need to be going to the assembly. Uh, we looked at that in uh, yesterday when we looked at the story of Naaman and, uh, and how he went and sought out a man of God, where there was a connection there to the people of God, and that's because graceful is sideways. And so it's important that we see the physical presence of Jesus here. Now, there are other times, there are exceptions to this rule, where Jesus just goes and says, oh, you're, you, you know, and we'll look at these later, uh, just go ahead and return. Your, your, pers- your, your family member is healed. They're, they're healed. Just go on home. You know, you can go and just do that. Yes, but the general rule is, is that grace flows sideways. God is gracious and he is merciful. And so sometimes he does send some grace, uh, you know, other places. But the general rule and definitely the consistent rule is that grace flows sideways and that takes presence of people coming. He wants a horizontal relationship. He wants you active and involved in someone else's life. And so we see this here. He touched Peter's mother-in-law and she was healed. The other account in Luke, it says something also interesting. And it says this, now he arose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. But when Simon's, excuse me, but Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and uh, they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she arose and served them. Now we see here, once again, there is that physical presence, which is uh, allowing for grace to flow sideways. But we see something else that's added here that, that's, that's brought and accounted for, and that is that he rebuked the fever. Remember when I was talking about the spiritual world? The, the spiritual world is more real than the physical world. I touched on that just a little bit. But this is where we really see this. Illness, it comes in, of course, sickness, illness. It came in through what? Through sin through sin. There is a spiritual reality that is connected to every sickness and every illness, and that spiritual reality is that it came in through sin, whether it was the person's individual sin or whether it is that we live in a sin-cursed world and is a result of that original sin. But also, we need to realize this. Devils and demons love sin. And they love the results of sin. And so sometimes they are the ones who act in this way. And if you go and you look at the life of Christ, you'll go and you'll see the ministry of Christ, the miracles of Christ, the supernatural acts throughout the Gospels. You'll see something here that is connected. And that is a lot of times people had devils cast out of them, demons cast out of them, and they were healed at the same time. And they're healed. It's like these two things go hand in hand, that you cast the devil out and the sickness leaves with it. Well, sometimes that also needs to happen. And maybe it's not necessarily that the devil needs to be cast out. Maybe it's an oppression as opposed to a possession. If you're saved and you're a Christian, then it's not a possession. It'd be an oppression or something like that. But sometimes it's brought in for, through a spiritual entity and it needs spiritual authority over that to be rebuked and to get kicked out. 
Now, I understand there are things as germs, right? I don't I don't go into a a public restroom and when I when, when I leave, you know, um, I go and I flush the toilet with my foot. I don't go and say, "And I rebuke you in Jesus' name, you germs." You know, some people do some weird things. I'm not getting all flaky on you here when I'm talking about this, but there is a reality that sometimes sickness might need to be rebuked, especially if it is of spiritual possession, if it's of demon possession, or if it's of spiritual or demon oppression, uh, sometimes it does need to be rebuked. And of course, that needs to be rebuked by a spiritual authority that comes in. But here we see two things, two helpful things, practical things that come into healing. One is you need to be connected once again to the people of God. Grace flows sideways. There's a physical touch that comes into this. You can't just go and say, look, yeah, you, you, the general rule anyway, is that you can't just go and say, hey, can you just pray for me at home? No, you, you need to go to the elders. You need to go to the pastors. You need to go to the people of your church, to those of you who have somebody who you know who's sick. You need to go to them and to pray with them. But then also we see here this idea of, you know, understand. Sometimes sickness, disease, it's all attached to spiritual sin, whether it's original sin from Adam and Eve or whether it's from your own sin or from sin of somebody else. That can happen sometimes too. But sometimes it can also be in connection to a demonic entity, whether through oppression or possession, but you can't oppress just a, uh, you, you know, you, you can't re rebuke. Jesus wasn't rebuking original sin here. He was, re you can't rebuke in um, a, a non-person, it must have personhood in order to rebuke it. You can't re rebuke something like that. Jesus is rebuking a demonic entity here. There's no doubt about that. But there's one more thing that I want us to see this morning, and I know we're probably running just a little bit long, but it's something that's in all three of these. And I think this is really important to understand with healing. What was Peter's mother-in-law's response to being healed. In all three of these accounts, it was the same. It says, and she served them. And immediately she arose and served them. And she arose and served them. You know, Christian who's longing for healing, who is longing to be healed from your sickness, from your illness, from your disease, I've got a question for you. Do you have a servant's heart? Because God doesn't want to heal you so that you can just go and live your life for you. God wants to heal you so that you can live your life for him because his healing is getting things back in a line with original order, with original creation, with original intent, with his original plan for your life. And so the question is, if you're seeking healing, do you have a servant's heart? Have you told God, God, I know that I want this healing in my life. Lord, it would benefit me greatly. I understand that. But Lord, more than benefiting me, I want to do it so that I can be in servant servitude to you. So that I can be a better servant of yours. That might be what's holding you back from healing. If you don't have that today. 
Well, thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may be able to observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Something, a miracle's coming, rejoice like